0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. Glad that you've tuned in to listen today. Just a couple of things that I want to let you know that are coming up in the next uh, week so that you can look forward to in your studies and think about prior to the podcast. On Tuesday, uh, the podcast is going to be about the difference between individual... Uh, action and church action. Sometimes when people talk, especially about, you know, doing the work of the Lord, they talk in such a way that strongly suggests and sometimes definitely states that they don't understand the difference between the individual and the church. Over the years, I've even heard many, many teachers uh, in churches make the claim that what the individual Christian can do and the church can do are the same. And sometimes even when it comes down to uh, money or funds, the statement is made, well, there's no difference between the church uh, collection and my individual money. It's all the Lord's. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about those types of things and see that the scriptures do separate the collective, that is, all Christians assembled together, the church, uh, from the individual and responsibilities. And in some of these things, it's just kind of a duh, duh, like what in the world? How did anybody ever think that? Well, maybe you haven't considered it. Maybe you've been taught the wrong way. I think it will be a good study for everybody, even if it is a review for some. And then next Sunday, oh boy, something that I think probably, uh, in the high 90% of people that claim to be Christians, which, of course, most aren't, uh, but they they all think that God's controlling things, and some people think that God controls everything, that nothing happens in the world by chance, that nothing happens without God's direct manipulation. Some people would just look at God as a puppet master. Others look at Him as kind of a, uh, a God who tilts things in the direction uh, that he wants things to go like kind of a cheater uh, to accomplish his will or different things what we're going to talk about next sunday is people crediting god for doing something that he really didn't do and i think you'll find that to be a very interesting study and the likelihood is you might believe something false on that yourself and that's probably going to be a little bit of a longer, in-depth study, so that'll be next Sunday, and I hope you'll tune in and listen to both of these podcasts. So what we're going to talk about today, uh, you know, it'd be great. Over the years, I've had many well-meaning people. I'm not indicting the the motives and in, in the point that I'm about to make, but well-meaning people that have said things to me like... Uh, could you just give me a list of what God wants me to do and the scriptures next to it? Or, hey, what, what exactly is it, you know, what scriptures point out to me what I need to do uh, to please God? And, and a lot of times people are kind of looking for a checkoff list, right? And thinking, if I'm working and I love God and I'm serving him the right way, then I'm safe. All eternity uh, will be mine in heaven. And ideally, you'd like to be able to tell someone because the Bible teaches us things that are are very thought-provoking, very accurate, very true. Uh, Paul, in the letter to the church in Corinth, the first letter in the church of Corinth, told the saints there in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain the Lord. So, ideally, and and it should be true to a degree if I'm always doing the Lord's work, if I'm always engaged, I, I should be safe with him. Paul, to the saints in Ephesus, the church that, that, that was there, wrote a letter uh, to them. And, and he said in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So if I'm doing good works, I should be safe, right? I mean, that that is... What we want to think, that is what we want to assume and calculate. Uh, and, and, And especially if I'm very zealous, if I'm out there, I'm engaged in living the life of a faithful Christian to the glory of my God and Father in heaven. Well, Jesus gave himself for us, Titus 2 and verse 14, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's it, right? I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, maybe maybe we can even simplify it. Jesus seems to have simplified it in passages like Mark 12, 28 through 33, where one of the scribes came, and having heard them reason together and perceived that he'd answered them well, asked them, what is the first commandment at all? And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. With all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is likely, namely, this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He, and love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding with all the soul, with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So, hey, it would seem, it would seem to be that Jesus is just saying, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. And and even we could support that. You know, in First John 4, 8, uh, it's written, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So it's supported there. Good works have to be motivated by love. So if love is the engine moving me, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it's in a context about spiritual gifts that begins back in chapter 12. Paul writes to church in Corinth saying, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profited me nothing. So if, if love is the engine, if it's moving my obedient works, my works by faith, then I'm in a good place with God. Isn't that the safe point? So preacher, here, you you, you told me I need to always abound in the work of the Lord. I, I need to be zealous in it. Love God, love my neighbor. And you could even branch off. Loving God means keeping his commandments, John 14, 15. And it just seems like, okay, we shortlisted this. And other scriptures support the shortlist. Well, what about those though that loved God, served him, that we're busy working, but we're wrong for some other reason. I want to draw your attention and thoughts, and, and let me let me state here the goal. The goal is to get you away from trying to create a numbered list. That's the goal. If you go back and you listen to Tuesday's podcast about the impartiality of God, one of the points that I made near the end of that podcast, using Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and Luke 12, etc., cetera, was that God expects of everybody what they're capable of doing. So there is no way I could give you a list of things you're supposed to do and share that and say, Here, here's what God requires of everybody to be saved. Because that's different looking for each one of us. For example, I'm an evangelist, so there's things expected of me, like to preach the word, to be instant, to to be ready in season, out of season, that is when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Uh, And among that, many other instructions that do not apply to every Christian, different things that apply to me. So uh, my list, and I'm not suggesting you can even make a list because different situations and scenarios are going to arise in a person's life and and different things. Like, like for example, I'm a married man. So as a married man, I have expectations from God to be a husband that loves my wife, Ephesians 5.25. I have children, and while they're grown and adults, Uh, There was expectations while I was raising my children to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. A man that's not married, that doesn't have children, that's not going to be part of what God expects of him, right? Likewise, a woman, she's going to have different responsibilities to love her husband, love her children, Titus 2, 3 through 5. But what if she doesn't have children? Then what if that married man or woman becomes a widow or a widower? And then again... There are variations of instructions. You know, if she's a young widow, first Timothy 5 3 through 16, something we're actually going to dig into in uh, Tuesday's podcast. There's expectations different for the older widow than the younger widow. So there's there's all these instructions, excuse me in the New Testament that vary based on individual, vary based on ability, vary, Based upon situation and even instructions that may apply generally, like to do good. Okay, general instruction. But Galatians 6.10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. I may have means and opportunity that are different than your means and opportunity. So in those situations, there's going to be different expectations. See why it's not possible? to assemble a X amount of step list of things you have to do to be saved, etc., continuing faithfulness to God. So I, I want to draw our lesson from two congregations that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, Pergamus and Thyatira. And as we look at these, I, I just want to draw your mind to something. The book of Revelation, who's it written to? Well, what's it about? You know, a lot of people are approach the book of Revelation, they're like, Oh, this is a book of end times. you know if you just look at the very first few verses, first four verses, says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. Did you hear that? Let me repeat it. To show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Did you hear that? Again, for the time is at hand. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne." That's how the book of Revelation begins. It's a letter, it's an epistle to the seven churches of things that must shortly come to pass, things that are at hand. You you understand that? And when you're looking at this book and you're reading it, you're reading a letter that's written to seven congregations that existed and the first century. And as you go all the way through this letter, the last chapter repeats something we've already read. In Revelation 22, 6, he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God, the holy prophet sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. So in the book of Revelation, you're not reading about things to come. And of course, like any other book, sometimes there's things that talk about the judgment day that no man knows, uh, Matthew 24, 36. But overall, the context of the book of Revelation is to seven congregations in the first century about things they are facing and the overcoming of them. So in that context, excuse me just for a second. Hello? Yes, sir. Can, can I call you back? I'm actually in the middle of a podcast right now. Okay, I'll give you a call back. Thank you so much. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, I think it's a salesman, uh, but give him a call back here in just a little bit. Uh, to our point, the churches in Pergamos and Thyatira, in Revelation 2, beginning at verse 12, says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, "...to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it." And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things, sacrificed in to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give in every one of you according to your works. But... Unto you I say, and the rest in Thyatar, as many have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I put none other burden, but that which ye already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with with them an rod of iron, vessels of potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So, did you catch that? Pergamus and Thyatira loved, served, worked, etc. Those in Pergus, Pergamus, they did not d- deny the faith even in times of persecution. So, you know, according to the scriptures, Acts fourteen twenty two, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And we much through much tribulation enter in the kingdom of God. They did that, right? So they're good, right? Second Timothy two twelve. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. They suffered with our Lord, and they did not uh, deny him. But, but he told them, "Repent or else." Hmm. The, the short list doesn't work, does it? Those in Thyatira, they worked. He said, "I know thy works." They worked. Well, James two fourteen says, what doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith, and hath no works, can faith save him? Verse 24 says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Doesn't their works justify them? They loved. Remember, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, strength, soul. They worked. They loved. 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of that context of where it's talking about spiritual gifts ceasing. It says, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. They loved. I mean, isn't that the greatest thing? The greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is love. That's what charity means. Colossians 3, 14, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. They've got the magic eraser, right? Doesn't charity take care of, hey, I mean, so what? They have this woman referred to as Jezebel there and they haven't done anything uh, uh, about her. Uh, it doesn't matter, right? They're working. They love. They even serve. They ministered. You know, uh, Luke eleven forty one 41 could be used, but rather give alms of things you have and behold, all things are clean unto you. So if I'm ministering, if I'm serving, all things are clean. Doesn't that, doesn't, doesn't all these good works Balance the scale in the favor of those in Thyatara. They had faith. Ephesians 3 10 through 12 says to the intent now that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Boldness, access? Hebrews ten thirty eight, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The just live by faith. Doesn't that make them just? Aren't they right? Those in Thyatira had patience. James 1, 3, and 4, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. They had patience. They had endurance. Their faith was tried. They endured. They had grown. They were more than in the beginning. I mean, when, when you're reading that, thy works... The last be more than the first. So they groan and works. And isn't that the goal? First Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that you received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. They, they worked. They grew more and more. Hmm. But the Lord still says, "I will give unto every one of you according to your works." So those that were part of what Jeze- the woman referred to as Jezebel had going on—they're in trouble with the Lord, except they repent of their deeds. They're in trouble with the Lord. Can't they look at Him and say, "But, but, Lord, we've worked." We've loved, we've served, we've abounded more than we were in the beginning. These works that we're doing, don't don't they counterbalance this one error? Yeah, so we were persuaded by uh, this woman referred to as Jezebel, and we did some sinful things, but, but... I mean, we've done more good than wrong, right? No. But come on, folks. Isn't that what a lot of people are looking for even to this day? Is some way where they can take this scale and that scale has on one hand sin and on the other hand righteous works. And they think that these righteous works are going to somehow tip the scale in their advantage. Like, you know... I've done some bad, Lord, but, you know, I've done more good. And they're trying to essentially work their way to heaven uh, with some kind of exchange in mind, like take my good works to forget my evil works. Let me ask you a question, just, I mean, just, just to be reasonable. We talk about faithfulness, which means fidelity, right? Marriages end sometimes because of infidelity, you know, fornication is often called unfaithfulness, right? Would this work in a marriage if a man or a woman looked at his or her spouse and said, you know what? I've been faithful to you for 250 days out of this year. That far outweighs the time that I've been unfaithful. I've only cheated on you 106 days out of the year. Well, who would accept that? Who, who would say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right, you're right. You've been more faithful than you've been unfaithful. And then if she said, and you know, and, and, or he or she said, and, and you know, in years past, you know, there have been times where I've been unfaithful, you know, 200 times where maybe, you know, you would love me less because of that, but then there's been other years where I've only been unfaithful 15 or 20 times. And when you balance it out, I've been more faithful than unfaithful. I mean, come on. The man might look at her and say, you know what? I've brought home the bacon. Forget about who I'm out there with cheating on you. I'm bringing home the bacon. Who cares about the love making?" Who's going to accept that? What woman's going to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I love my car. I love my house. I like getting my nails done. So, you know, if you want to take the woman to bed that does my nails, you know, at least just make sure it's less than 160 days out of the year, 180 days out of the year. Come on, folks. That doesn't work in relationships in our world. I'll, 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 I'll... a boss at a job site, you know you've you've uh, not shown up for work two days out of every week. Yeah, yeah, but it, you, you got to take into consideration the three days that I am here, sir. Come on, folks, we know that doesn't work. One, two, three, four, five things. It's not enough to counter your sins. You know in Luke eleven forty two. Jesus says, one well, of you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs. So they're good, right? They're under the law of Moses. Tithing was part of the law of Moses. They, they've done their tithing. No, no, they're not good. Jesus says, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought you have to done and not leave the other undone. Ah, see, it's not about let me pick and choose off the menu That is before me. What works I want to do that make me right, that will somehow counteract those that make me wrong. And there's not a balancing thing. You know what happens when a righteous man sins? Ezekiel 18:24. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. And his trespasses they have trespassed, and his sin the ascent and them. Shall he die? Think on that. Think on that. The Scriptures in both the Old and the New Testament show that obedience to God means doing everything He requires under said law. Now, we're under the law of Christ now. The Old Testament law, the law of Moses, was put away. Romans 7, 1-6 through 6, was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2, 14 Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, Hebrews 9, 15 through chapter 10 and verse 22. But just to show the consistency of God, whatever law you're under, whatever God law is, old or now new, He expects all to be obeyed. And Deuteronomy 5, 33, "...you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess." Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be he that confirmeth not to all the words of the law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. Jeremiah 7, 23. This thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. In Matthew 23, 23. One, you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, here's the parallel to Luke 11, 42. He says, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted, omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done and not leave the other undone. The commission to the apostles, so he's talking to the 11, Matthew 28:16. In that context, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, again, the apostles, saying, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo and with you all, even unto the end of the world. In First Timothy 5.21, the Apostle Paul to the evangelist Timothy, that I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angel that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality to the saints that James is writing Uh, early first century book, 12 tribes scattered abroad, Jewish Christians who had many problems when you read the book of James, respective persons like we talked about uh, in our last podcast, among other issues, you go into James chapter 5, treating their brethren terribly, James chapter 3, cursing with their mouth, God's children, all kinds of problems addressed in the book of James. Uh, James 2, 8 through 12, in that context, "...if you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all." For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. Just for the sake of clarity, he's not talking about the old law. He made it specific there in verse 12, the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty that we are under. Same wording he used in James 1. And verse 25. So there you have it from the book of Deuteronomy through the book of James. And we could have added a lot of scripture. We could go all the way to Revelation 22, 18, and 19, uh, where, where it, it is specifically, you know, we're, we're talking about the uh, churches in Pergamos and Thyatira. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, in that letter to them, he says, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life, of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. Getting it all right, not missing at one point. So the problem that existed in both Pergamos and Thyatira is that they did not deal with false brethren that were among them. They worked, they loved, they served. But they allowed the false brethren to abide there without doing anything about it. When we look at the pattern of the scriptures, that's wrong. Think about what Paul did, uh, and, and he's giving an account of it to the churches of Galatia in a letter written to the church of Galatia in Galatians 2, 1 through 5. He says, Fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and commuted unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them that were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily despite our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. They gave place, no, not for an hour. Well, think about that. False brethren, give them place, no, not for an hour. The blind eye approach just ignoring sin doesn't work. The church in Corinth was guilty of this. When you look at, at the fifth chapter in the first letter to the church in Corinth, and 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1, it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit, what the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. Therefore let us Keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or the idolaters for then you must needs go out of the world. But now have I written unto you, not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or drunker, or extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what I have to do to judge them that are without. Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. When you look at that, it's not good that they didn't do anything. They had to withdraw from this fornicator that was among them in hopes that that would restore that individual, in hopes that this person would would repent and would change, but just doing nothing and allowing this individual who is in sin to abide in their fellowship was wrong. And, 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 and that shows us the same thing that the letter to Pergamus and Thyatira shows us, is that fellowship matters. Old Testament, you know, there's a rhetorical question. Can any two walk together except to be agreed? Amos 3 and verse 3. It's a rhetorical question. It answers itself. To the letter to the church in Corinth. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. When it comes to fellowship, you can't just say, well, you know, we're, we're good. We're not going to do anything uh, with this individual. Like we read in Ezekiel 18, 24, their work, their love, their serving, all the good things that were being done in Pergamus and Thyatira was erased by having either, when you look at the church in Pergamos, those that uh, held to the doctrine of Balaam and, and the Nicolaitans, just having them among them, corrupted them. A principle that, that we see going back into the Old Testament where Achan in Joshua chapter 7 brought the accursed thing into the camp. What did it do? It corrupted all of them. They had to deal with Achan to purge out the sin that he brought among all of them. Because when you're in erring fellowship, that makes you a partaker in those evil deeds. In fact, let me come back to a series of scriptures and we'll get to the evidence of what I just said. Um, before we get to that particular passage, I want to take you through a couple more. And the second letter written to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, he says, "'Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel?' What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. In chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." What communion, what fellowship has those in Christ with sin, with those outside? None, none. But the churches in Pergamus and Thyatira, they allowed error to be in their fellowship. In Ephesians chapter 5, 6 to 11, the instruction, let no man deceive you with vain words. I think a lot of people ignore that instruction. It's sinful to be deceived. Just, just catch that. He said, For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, be not therefore partakers with them. You hear that? Be not therefore partakers with them. And the text goes on. For you sometimes were darkness, but now you lighten the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what's acceptable in the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I want to give you a side note here. So the church in Ephesus is addressed here, and the church in Ephesus is one of the seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation as well. And Ephesians five six to eleven, you see the instruction there not to have fellowship, not to be partakers with those in darkness. So when you come to the book of Revelation, you know the the, the letter to the church in Ephesus teaches a militancy. In fact, putting on the whole armor of God, Ephesians six. 10 through 18, etc. Well, when you come to the book of Revelation, the church in Ephesus kind of did the opposite of what Pergamos and Thyatira did. The church in Ephesus was very militant and they would not put up with false brethren. They f- found them to be liars, Revelation 2 and verse 10. In fact, the specific there is those that said they were apostles and were not. But the Lord had a problem with them because they left their first love. So look at this flip coin here. Pergamus and Thyatara had love, but weren't militant. The church in Ephesus was militant, but they left their first love. Take note of that. Think on that. Back to the point of fellowship. You can't have fellowship with error. Brethren can't be engaged in light and darkness at the same time. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the context here the, to the church in Thessalonica uh, is that there were brethren there that were refusing to work. And some of you may be familiar with the command, if any man will not work, neither should he eat, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Well, in verse 6, the same context, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would draw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which you have received of us. So here it's not just... Somebody teaching a false doctrine. It's not the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It's not the doctrine of Balaam. It's not a woman who's leading people into spiritual adultery. It's not the physical fornicator. It's men who refuse to work. Withdraw yourselves from them. Why is that? Because again, this is just further evidence. There's not a short list there's not a short list. You can work, you can serve, you can love spiritually and not fulfill an obligation that Christ gives us in other texts, fall short and need withdrawn from. Now, a few minutes ago, I mentioned being partaker in the evil deeds of those whom you might be in fellowship with. And 2 John 1, 6-11 says, this is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not the things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that bideth him Godspeed is partaker of... Of his evil deeds. That's just giving a warm welcome or a greeting makes you a partaker in their evil deeds. That's why withdrawal is the requirement. So when we're looking at all this, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong. You could easily say, like Jesus did, Jesus isn't a false teacher. You could say, love God and thy neighbor, and you can hang the law and all of that, like he did in Mark 12 28 through 33. You could say that. But if somebody doesn't understand what it means to love God, to keep all his commandments, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. I wonder how many people out there, maybe it's you, that have heard that brief presentation in the past, and it's not that that brief presentation was wrong, but you created your own short list. This is what it means to love God. I'm going to check them off, dot, 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 dot. And because I've done that, I'm a faithful Christian. Maybe, maybe it's been I, I heard and believed the gospel and repented of my sins. I'm a Christian. I'm good. Maybe it's I've heard, believed, repented, confessed, been baptized, and now I'm going to be faithfully assembling with the saints. And that faithfulness does it all. Do you really think that there are 27 New Testament books Do you really think that the Lord is such a poor author that it took him 27 books to simplify six or seven steps? Think on that. Come on. You got to know better. You got to know better. We can't rest where we are. Churches in Pergamos and Thyatira, they got complacent. Can't get complacent. You've got to continue in full faithfulness, To the Lord, Jesus to Jews, and and catch this, these were people that believed on him. John 8 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You have to continue. And Romans chapter 2, a book that the book of Romans greatly abused. Verse 7 says, To who that to them who by patient and enduring continuance and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. You have to keep on keeping on. In Galatians 6, 7 through 9, "...be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not." In Colossians 1, 21-23, church in Colossae told, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now you reconcile the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable, unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." In the book of Hebrews, written Jewish Christians clarifying things that clearly in the first century are misunderstood in the transition from the law of Moses to Christ. It says in Hebrews 3.14, the context, uh, even going into chapter 4, he's reminding them of when Israel provoked the Lord and was made to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. In that context, where well, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And do you remember what we, were, what we read in part in 2 John 1, to 6-11? I want to repeat verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not the things which will rot, but that we receive a full reward. Catch that. Think on that. Folks, there's not just some short list. Yeah, you can briefly say, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, neighbor as thyself. And that will cover... A great ground. But do people understand what that means? Do people even know who their, their neighbor is? Do people understand the difference between love thy neighbor and love thy brother? There are so many things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul. Well, loving God means keep his commandments. I don't even need to say love thy neighbor as thyself because that's one of the instructions, right? Romans 13, uh, 8 and following. I don't even have to say that. It's there. It's part of the commandments of the Lord. So I could even briefly just say, love God. Maybe that brief presentation has been people's excuse to do very little. On the judgment day, we're going to be judged for our works. John 5, 28 29, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. The churches, and it is not just individuals, but the collective body in Pergamos and Thyatira were given instructions there were people among them that were going to lose their souls lest they repented. And the churches risked losing their identity lest they turn back to God. They couldn't continue in complacency and do nothing. Will you learn from that? That you can work, you can love, you can serve, you can grow in your love and your work and your service to be more than was in the beginning and that might be enough. Your one transgression erases your good. It's not the other way around. It's not the other way around. Just like you would expect in a marriage. Uh, I've been married for 28 years. I have been faithful to my wife for 28 years. If I turn to infidelity today, my wife is not going to look at me and say, well, you know, you had 28 years of good. I'll just ignore this. Now I've become a fornicator. My one act... Ruins 28-year relationship. Think on that. You know that to be true. You live that. You know God expects the same. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions, I encourage you to give me a call. As you heard in this podcast, I'll answer it. I'll answer it. And by the way, if it's a Bible question, I'll probably just stop the podcast and redo it later. I don't go back and edit these podcasts. I, I record them once and roll with it. So that would be a case where I'd, I would just delete and and start over. But if you've got a Bible question, unless I'm preaching or it's impossible for me to answer the phone or something of that nature, that's going to take precedence over any other thing I'm doing. So my phone number is 915-525-5794. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net, and you can visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. I hope you'll tune back in on Tuesday and continue to listen to this podcast as we go forward. I hope this study has been beneficial to you. Um, Hope to hear from you. Thank you.